Well, I hope you are having a good Memorial Day weekend. I hope this is, uh, is someone woo-woo? Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those times you get out, like, people, people that you didn't know had boats, have boats on Memorial Day weekend. Where, where, I didn't miss you. Uh, we were out on our boat. Uh, perfect, you know. Um, but, you know, one of the reasons we uh, celebrate Memorial Day or why it's instituted is uh, that men and women have given their lives to this, in service to this country, and uh, we honor them this day. Um, they, those who have come home um, in, in coffins, um, those who have come home in just notifications um, to, to families, not come home at all. Uh, so, men, you know, I, um, I was contacted by the military whenever I was, in, whenever I registered to vote, I guess, when I turned 18, they called me and they said, what, what, we can help you be what you want to be with your life. And I said, I want to be either a musician or a preacher. And they didn't call me back. I was expecting a return call, um, but I did not do that. But the, uh, but they had a, um, uh, they, they, there are men and women who give their lives um, in, in bravery. They stand in front of harm's way and say, I, I'm not going to run from this. I'm going to stand firm. And there's people who lost their lives for that case. Um, so, on, you know, remember those families. Remember those who are giving their lives to service right now, who are in harm's way right now. Um, continue down that path um, this weekend as you just acknowledge from time to time, man, people have, people have lost their life defending my freedom. Um, and that, uh, you know, just don't make it all about barbecue. Mostly, but, you know, uh, give it, uh, definitely honor them and pray for those people this week. There's a, um, there's a tense moment in Esther. Uh, it's in F- uh, Esther chapter 5. We won't get there just yet, but I, I do want... Um, to cut to the chase of Esther. Because Esther, for the most part, is, um, is portrayed as a romantic comedy. Um, it is. It is. It's hilarious how Haman gets his due. Um, but it's portrayed as sort of this romance. Uh, because you, you don't even get the mention of God throughout the book of Esther. God doesn't... The name God, the word God, the Lord does not show up. And so we make the story of Esther about Esther, and because it's a romance, Xerxes. Uh, That's not really what it's about. The, the, the tense moment is in, ex, uh, in Esther chapter 5, verse 1. It says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes, stood in the inner court of the palace, in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. Now this, to us, is just a setup. It's just, there stands Esther, and there's the king, and now what's happening next? But it's in this verse that the whole of Esther pivots. Because Esther isn't just in a relationship with this king. We forget how this happened. 
Actually, I, I looked up some of the movies and watched some of the clips of, of the, like, there's been several movies made about Esther, and none of them are terribly accurate because they want to paint Xerxes as this man who just needs to be tamed. And he's a lunatic. We forget that, Xer- that Esther, or her uh, Hebrew name is Hadassah, we forget that she was brought into the king's palace as sort of like an American idol sort of search for um, a new wife, a new queen, and whoever didn't make the cut is now just part of the harem. And we, we make the, the reason she's even in this contest in the first place is that Xerxes got really uh, full on wine. He got really full on, on drink, got real drunk, and said, hey, everybody. He was having this big party, you know, big, like, day-in, day-out party where you wake up. You don't, you probably don't know what those are like, me either. But when you wake up and you just don't, like, is this Saturday? I'm not sure. And he says, hey, guys, my wife is so pretty. Bring her out. Bring her out my wife. And... That she says, no, I'm not parading myself. In front. She took, took a stand. She did what you're supposed to do. I'm not parading myself in front of all those men. And he killed her. Killed her like all the way. Killed her. Real dead. And so now he needs a new queen. Let's have a competition. The reason even Esther's even in this situation is is that Xerxes murdered his first wife. One of the clips I saw in uh, this is like a Bible movie, and it was um, two, uh, you know, they took, got two white people to play some Middle Eastern people. And they, they were, they were uh, she was standing there with, with Xerxes, and he says, promise you'll always be faithful. She goes, promise you'll never lie to me. I'm like, what is this? Of course he's going to lie to you. He's probably going to kill you eventually. That's just how Xerxes rolls. There, early on in the story, there's two guys that are claiming to overthrow uh, Xerxes. And Mordecai, uh, Hadad, or Esther's uh, cousin, or uncle, actually, um, he says, um, I, he, he reports it to Xerxes, and and. Xerxes says, thank you very much, Mordecai. Impale those two guys. They got impaled. It's a horrible way to go. It's, it's, it's cruel and, and actually, in that time, very usual. Xerxes was not a great dude, and she's standing in the courts. And the rule is that if she goes into the courts unannounced, or doesn't come when called, she'll die. She's committing in the same, she's violating the same code that the first wife did. That's the reason they tell you about the first wife, is because they want you to know that whenever Esther's standing in the inner court looking at the king, he has the right by law to kill her. And he's done it before. What 
will he do? You say, brave Esther. Esther stands in bravery before Xerxes. Esther stands without fear in front of the king. That's not exactly it. This is what happens. Her uh, uncle, Mordecai, says um, to her, he's the one who told her, you should go, you're pretty, you should be the queen. They put her in this, don't tell anybody that you're Jewish. Don't tell anyone where you're from, who your family is. Just go participate. And she does. And she is successful. She becomes the girl who becomes queen, is Esther. But then, Mordecai is in the streets one day, and Haman, this real bad guy. You remember, you remember back when Saul, oh, you might not remember this, it was a couple months ago, when Saul uh, was supposed to go in and take care of all these people, and he didn't? He was supposed to, he was supposed to kill them? get them all, and that's when Saul's kingship started going downhill is because he didn't kill all of this particular type of people. Well, Haman's one of the leftovers from that raid, and his people have always had an animosity toward the Jewish people. Hey, I get it, (laughs) right? Like, it's not, that's an understandable animosity. They killed most of us. Haman does not like Mordecai, does not want Mordecai in the region. And then Mordecai has the audacity not to bow down to Haman or show respect whenever Haman passes by. He's not even afraid of it. And so Haman goes to Xerxes. Xerxes, remember, lunatic, signs anything you put in front of him. Says, hey... Haman says, hey, there's, there's a lot of people I want to kill. They're all of You know what? I'm planning the genocide in December. It's January now. Give me 11 months. It takes a long time to get a genocide organized. And um, I will pay you a lot of money to over 400,000 pounds of silver. I'm going to put that in the king's treasury. And Xerxes, being the nice man that he is, goes, you know what? Keep your money. I'll kill him for free. Xerxes, in my mind, is just Will Ferrell's impersonation of Harry Carey. That's all he is. Just, I'll do it. You know, just, if you don't get that reference, that's fine. It wasn't for you. Um, so Haman is wanting to kill Everybody, he says, I'll offer you a lot of money. And Xerxes says, you know, I kill people for free all the time. I'll just go ahead, organize it, put it together, and, um, and we'll, send out, we'll send out an edict. They send out an edict. That's what you do. It's like a memo. You just send it to all the places, and they read it aloud and say, you know, today is National Chocolate Bar Month, and we also have, uh, you know, we're, we're doing... Uh, sewage maintenance appreciation week and then also all the Jews are going to die in December thank you very much go back to your home and so the edict goes out and everybody they have the announcement 
and everyone is terrified. And Mordecai is grieving, and he's grieving at the gates of the city. And Esther sends him clothes because he's wearing just sackcloth and ash. He's grie- he, doesn't, he doesn't want to eat. She sends him clothes and food. Get up. You're embarrassing us. He says, no, you don't know what's happening. And he tells her servant all that is happening. It says in Esther 4, we back up from Esther 5 to Esther 4. So Hathak, this is uh, her, her, uh, her guard, the guy that's with her. He sends her a message. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square in the city in the front of the king's gates. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go to the king's presence, to beg for mercy and plead with him for the people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And no, typically we'd at this point have Esther go, you know what? I am brave Esther. I will go. That's not what she did. Then she uh, instructed Hathak to say these things to Mordecai. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. See, I just want you to realize that, that, that Xerxes is not the extend the scepter sort of dude. Xerxes is not the type of guy who when he has the option of killing someone to show power or the option of showing them grace to show humility, he's always going, he's always exerted power. That's just his mode. That's what he does. And she says, it's been 30 days since he's called me. I'm not, I can't go in there, I'll die. Everyone knows that. There's also kind of a power structure here. Um, You know how, I don't know if you caught it. Queen Esther at this point says, um, everyone in the palace knows this. I'm having to explain it to you, Mordecai. This is not the way things work. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces. Royalty knows how things work. And what you're asking of me is not how things work. And it's been 30 days since I've been called to the king. Here's the famous quote from Mordecai. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. At this point, he's saying, you do what you have to do for your people. But I will argue that still, it is not bravery that finds Esther in the court of the king. 
But she doesn't then say, you know what, I'll do it. Here's what she says. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Now, we do not get a mention of God, but we get a mention of fasting. And fasting is not when you don't eat food. Fasting is when you replace food with prayer. She's saying, for three days, I need all of my people to replace the meals that give them strength with the God who gives them strength. For three days, I need prayer. For three days, I need you to call on God. And when you call on God, then I will go before the king. Faith looks a lot like bravery when we don't give God the credit. But faith is bravery when we're not leaning on our own capabilities, but on the capabilities of the God we follow and trust. Esther is not a brave queen. She's a faith. Her answer is not, oh, well, if uh, it's needed, I guess I'll go. Esther is brave because of who she trusts. And who she trusts is the God of their people. Go pray for me, and I will go risk my life. If I die, I die, but I will do what you ask. And so there she is on the third day. Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on the royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. Now, I wish that we don't know these stories from our childhood. I wish right now you could feel the tension of is this going to work or not? And the story goes on and it gets more complicated. She doesn't bring it up at the moment. She actually invites Xerxes to dinner because she knows that the way to a man's heart um, to keep him from killing all of your people is through his stomach. But there she stands in faith, vulnerable to other people, but trusting God. That's where Jesus stood. Vulnerable to the whims of others who wished him harm. Vulnerable to the people who wanted to kill him, who did kill him, but trusting that God, through his actions, would save an entire people. brings Paul to say we are saved through the faithfulness 
of Jesus for all who believe. It brings us to the point where we, we know that what Jesus did can be mimicked and mirrored. And the fact that he found victory on the third day, too, is important to us because now we, not because we're brave, not because we, we I'm just, I'm, I'm not scared of anything. It's because I know that God has won the victory. And so when, when God calls me to love people that are hard to love or to forgive people that can't, that, that just won't ask for it, they don't even know they, they're wrong and they won't admit they're wrong. I don't know anybody about like, like that, but you might. That was a joke. When God calls us to do hard things that might end up wounding us, when you love someone fully, they can hurt you. By definition, when you love someone fully, they're the person who can hurt you the most. When you open up yourself to somebody else, that means that they can, they can see all of your vulnerabilities, all your brokenness. When you forgive someone, that means they might can hurt you again. We, we are called to stand in places that might bring us harm for the sake of God because Jesus did that for the sake of us. And when we do that, it does not... Braveries, bravery is just dumb adrenaline. Don Quixote was brave. Faith is whenever we aren't leaning on our own abilities, but we're leaning on the abilities of God. What God has done. So we love like Jesus loved, and you see where Jesus' love landed him. We forgive like Jesus forgives us. That's hard to do. The healthiest marriages, actually, the healthiest relationships, um, whether it's marriage or it's a workplace or um, parent, kid, grandparent, grandkid, uh, healthiest of, healthy, the healthiest of both things. <laughs> is, is when no one feels like they are owed anything. Because you're not keeping score. Because you're not saying, oh, well, they're this. They've done, I, I've done this a thousand times. When are they going to? In that moment, something creeps into your head and says, you know what? It's about time I get mine. That's not love. And that's not faith. Because it, and I don't know if you see how they're connected, but they are. Loving someone in condition, unconditionally is not us putting faith in that person. It's us putting faith in God because we know that this person's broken, but our God is not. And I'm going to love you guys, or I'm called to love you guys unconditionally, not because you won't fail or you won't betray it, but because 
God loved me like that first. And God calls me in faith to be vulnerable to people who can do me harm. And God does not promise me. We get no promise here from Esther. That's why I'm not going to verse 2. Because at verse 1, it could go either way. We get no promise that it's going to be fine. We just get promises that we're called to faith. We get, God calls us to trust God. And you may die, but you'll be fine. Because Jesus conquered death. We are, we serve a risen Savior. We serve a Savior who conquered death for us, forgave us our sins, redeems us, leads us. And it's our faith in Jesus that allows us to be vulnerable to other people who might hurt us. So what are you afraid of? Being hurt again? Feeling the pain of loss again? Are you afraid of your kids getting hurt? Maybe you won't be as comfortable as you were last year. We will either live by who, by faith in Jesus or who we have our faith in or we will live by what we are afraid of. But we can't live by both. You will either live by who you put your faith in or what you are afraid of. But you can't live by both. So I'm, I'm calling you to faith in Jesus this morning. Trust that Jesus can do what Jesus claims he can do. Trust what, that God has done what God has said he has done. Give your whole life to God. Give your whole life to Jesus. Be immersed in him, into his death, burial, and resurrection. Rise to walk in newness of life. Faithful life. Faithful day after faithful day. Because that's going to look a lot like bravery. But you're going to know that it has nothing to do with your gumption everything to do with the grace of God that you find in Jesus. If you want to join your life with Jesus today, please come forward while we stand inside.